From the PSIA ASI studios at Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair, and today we're talking with Lynn Hasday. And Lynn, really great podcast with you a couple of months ago, so I'm really looking forward to today's topic. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, George. Now, Lynn, you're a snowboard instructor. You're working for your Rocky Mountain trainer. Tell us about the articles and, and what you're really working on. The last one we talked about was the posterior kinetic chain. Today, we're going to be talking about the four tendencies and how people respond to expectations. Yes, it's really important to realize how we respond to expectations and how our students respond to expectations. If you've ever had trouble connecting with the students, I mean, you want to do anything you can to make that connection and figure out what to do and figure out how our students respond to expectations. And in turn, how we respond to expectations will help us do that. Now, Lynn, this is sounding like a very two-way street uh, because the person, the student's coming to uh, the lesson with expectations from us, and we're coming to the lesson with expectations of ourselves and our student. All right, there are two types of expectations. Inner expectations, which are things that you motivate yourself to do, and outer expectations, which are something that someone else motivates you to do. An example of an inner expectation would be studying or reading a book in your free time. And an outer expectation is maybe meeting a deadline or accommodating a request for somebody. And according to Gretchen Rubin, there are four types of, what, of people. There are upholders, obligers, questioners, and rebels. Obligers respond to external expectations only. Questioners respond to internal expectations only. Rebels do not respond to inner or outer expectations. And upholders respond to both inner and outer expectations. So what are some ways that we can talk to our students or observe our students and start to figure out which, uh, which they fit in? Basically, we talk to our students and just have any conversation. For example, we introduce ourselves at the beginning of the lesson and talk about what they want to work on, look at how they interact with their parents, with their children, or if they're adults, look at how they interact with each other or tell you about their goals. For an example, an obliger is someone who pretty much does anything you want. They're a yes man. So if you say, can you do this? Okay. They won't ask any questions. We'll just do it. But if you have a questioner, they're going to want to know why they have to do everything. And they're going to have to have an internal motivation or a reason that they want to learn something. You can't just say, do this. They won't automatically do it like an obliger. If you have a student who's a rebel, they resist all expectations. So if you say, turn like this, they're not going to do it. They're going to do whatever they feel like doing. But if you give them a choice and say, you can either go this way or this way and maybe try this movement, you're giving them some autonomy so then they're more receptive. And then if you have an upholder, upholders are pretty much the ideal student. They'll do basically what you tell them and they'll also want to do it for themselves, not just because you told them. Now, how do we deal with uh, this part of ourselves when we're working with someone? Um, say I'm an obliger and I'm working with an obliger as well, or a questioner, does that, what changes do I make in myself to make this work? It's interesting that you asked that question, George. That, that actually came up when I was preparing my clinic. Basically, as instructors, we master all of these 
the responses to expectations, and we're able to move fluidly throughout them. That way, if we have a student who's an obliger, we understand how they respond. So we can let them know what we'd like them to do. But if we have a rebel, then we also know how to respond. We we give them tasks based on choice and don't really give them anything to resist because they're choosing, they're not resisting. So we're really needing to be diverse with our teaching styles to match the needs of our students. Exactly. Everything right now is about soft skills. And the more emotional intelligence we have, which basically is what soft skills are, the better we can interact with students and the better experience we have with everyone, including our fellow instructors and everyone we work with. So you're really in for a rewarding lesson if you have four people and one is an obliger, one's a questioner, one's a rebel, and one is an upholder. Rewarding is a great word to use. If you manage it, then yes, definitely. (laughs) You need to work with all of them and make sure you meet all of their needs without shutting down one of them or more than one of them. Lynn, I love what you just said about without shutting down one of them because, oh, that's a horrible feeling when you see that happening. Completely horrible. If you have a rebel and you say, move your weight like this, and just order them, they're not going to do it. They'll shut down and start doing exactly what you don't want them to do. For example, a lot of kids, since their prefrontal cortex isn't developed until their early 20s, sometimes just rebel against things just because. So, for example, when I have kids who want to have a food fight, I let them know they can have a food fight, but the consequence is going to be cleaning up the rest of the day instead of snowboarding the rest of the day. It's completely their choice. It works the same for snowboarding skills or skiing skills. Now, are these tendencies at all fluid? I mean, can someone be receptive to one but also respond to another as well? So according to Gretchen Rubin, the person that came up with these tendencies, you can, you're can you primarily one and then you can lean towards another, but oh, you okay. won't be the one that's across. She comes up with a little rubric. It's kind of like the Olympic rings, but there are only four of them. And the rings are touching at the tips, and three rings overlap at all times. And I'll send George a picture, so he'll have one. So, for example, if you're an upholder, you might lean towards obliger or you might lean towards questioner. For example, I'm an upholder. I lean towards questioner because I always want to know why things are done. But sometimes I'll do something somebody wants me to do because I know they'll have a reason, but I don't know what the reason is, but I'll still do it. So then it sounds like the one technique that wouldn't work for you then is the rebel. Yes and no. I believe that you can flow through all four of the tendencies, whether consciously or subconsciously. That's kind of where I deviate a little bit from Gretchen Rubin's model. I really think we can move around, especially when we're teaching. If we use parts of all of them with all of our different students, we perform more effectively and our students learn more effectively. You know, I'm really seeing something in this that uh, I can lay on myself a lot in my early years of teaching because I'm very much non-analytical. You ask me to do something, I'll just do it. Um, So I am not a questioner at all. And when I would have to deal with kind of the engineer type questioner, um, that would kind of throw me off. And it was like, ah, I really don't like working with that type of student. 
And I needed to make some changes to become a much more well-rounded teacher so that uh, I could interact with all those types. Right. That's the goal for all of us to interact better with all of our students. And there are pros and cons to each type of tendency or each type of the way people respond to expectations. For example, if you're an upholder, sometimes you get everything gets like too intense and it's called tightening. You have these rules and you keep sticking to them and you're stricter and stricter and stricter. If you're an obliger, there's a thing called obliger rebellion. You do everything people ask. For example, your boss asks you to teach this lesson or help out this kid or help somebody with an audit and they keep asking and asking and asking. You say, okay, okay, okay. And then suddenly you'll explode and rebel and reject everything. So Lynn, I know you taught this as a clinic. How can people get more information about this? Because I mean, it's really a fascinating article that you've written. So hopefully the article will be available soon. Um, if you guys email me, I'm happy to send it to you directly. You can also read Gretchen Rubin's book, The Four Tendencies. Or if you come to Beaver Creek, hopefully I'll get a chance to lead this clinic again sometime this season. So Lynn, obviously this is starting, I mean, we're finding out this information from Hello. Yes, that's right. It just depends what questions you ask people and when. So if you ask somebody what they want to learn, and let's say it's an adult, so their prefrontal cortex is fully developed, and they say, I don't know what I want to learn. What do you think I should learn? That starts to lead us to believe that that person might be an obliger. But if the person starts asking a ton of questions, like how do you do this, or what is this, or what do you do when this happens, they could be a questioner. Especially if they say, I want to work on this, this, and this because of this reason. If they're a rebel, it's a little different. They might say, I mean, they could say anything. It's based on how they act. It's difficult for them to convince themselves to do something, and it's also difficult for others to convince them to do something. And they like to do whatever they feel like doing when they feel like it. So they say, I feel like riding some parts today and don't elaborate at all. Maybe they're a rebel. And then for upholders, they might want to see what your plans are, and they might also have a plan, and they might want you to tell them how they mix together. Does that make sense? Good stuff, Lynn. I think I, I'd, I'd actually really like to hear more about the rebel. It, it sounds like, yeah, let's go try this, but maybe yeah, there's got to be a way to get some expectations from them. Right. So rebels are pretty rare. They're easily manipulated, though, and sometimes they'll do the exact opposite of what you ask. So if you realize someone's a rebel, you can use it, and they know you're using it, and they can't do anything about it. They just do what you ask them not to do because they feel compelled to do it. So, Lynn, what was it about this topic that really grabbed you and made you want to build it into a clinic? I really like working on emotional intelligence and soft skills and learning how to communicate with our students better because if we don't connect with our students and we can't connect with them, the lesson's not very effective. And this allows us to communicate better and connect better and form relationships through ways that people best respond to instruction. Well, we know you are working toward your Rocky Mountain trainer designation. 
What have you specifically been working on this summer to help yourself improve? In terms of this article or in terms of everything in general? Your personal development, your writing, your MA, your teaching. Oh, I've been training a ton. I've been reading a lot of books, especially by Daniel Goleman, who is basically the emotional intelligence guy. And I've also been working on some research for another article that I hope to finish up this fall. I've been watching some videos, training a ton in the gym. I actually reached, I actually achieved a four-year goal of a double bodyweight deadlift this summer in the gym, which was pretty awesome. But now I'm just kind of looking forward to getting on snow and kicking off the season. Well, Lynn, it's great visiting with you again. I'm glad we had the opportunity to chat, and I look forward to doing more of these throughout the season. Thank you so much, George. It was so great to chat with you again. Lynn Hasday joining us on First Chair from the PSIA ASI Studios in Lakewood, Colorado. I'm George Thomas.